0: Well, good morning, everyone. If you haven't met me already, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. And, um, you know, I, uh, this isn't my first rodeo of being a pastor. I actually struggled for the Lord living in Hawaii, being a youth pastor there. And, um, and actually, it was. it was. It was a slug, believe it or not. It's, really, it's, a really, it's a real dark side of paradise there that most people don't know about. Um, I'm going to share a story about that. Um, there was each year... I used to take a good handful of students uh, in Hawaii, we used to leave the island, many of them have never, had never left the island, and we'd go to a camp in California, so that is about a five-hour plane ride east from the island of Oahu, and this was just uh, a fantastic camp, spot on on the gospel, uh, just very intentional in everything that they did, and because it wasn't cheap to fly from Honolulu to lax that's Los Angeles airport, uh, it was you know like a thousand bucks, probably more nowadays. but uh, we did fundraisers, we did huli, huli chickens and, and and all these interesting things for the whole year to, to raise money because uh, these kids, many of them came from broken homes't they, they had no cash flow and this one kid named Ikaika approached me two weeks before we left and this kid, uh, all inked up, which is very typical of Polynesian culture. That's not, that's neither here nor there. That didn't matter. But just this rough-looking kid. right? I'm trying to put that in your mind, and 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 he's like, Oh, bruh, I like go camp. I like go brah. meaning he wants to go with us to the. To, that's pigeon. And and I was like, "Oh yeah, man. I, uh, dude, I'd love to have you come. Like that would be amazing. I just, I'm just trying to." It's like a thousand bucks, and I'm thinking in my mind as I'm saying it, like, maybe April and I could, like, pinch some of our savings to, like, fund this kid, or maybe I could go ask one of the uncles or aunties in the church, like, hey, here's this super lost kid. Um, he goes, bro, I like God, because, you know, my life, uh, I'll just speak, like, he's, uh, you know, his dad's in jail and, and all this stuff, and, and his mom's in this abusive relationship, and blah, 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 blah. And, and I go, oh, okay, are, are you going to come to a youth group next week? Uh, and I was like, because I'd love to chat to you more about that. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, okay. So then next youth group, Kaika rocks up, hands me a wad of cash, a thousand bucks. And he goes, I'm going. And I went, all right, okay. Uh, should I ask where this money came from? He goes, ah, you know what? My daddy stayed on strong arm in the prison bah." And he tell guys, you better pay up, I'll bust you up. <laughs> Which means he's a, like a, like, you know he's the strong arm for a drug dealer, and if they didn't pay up, he was going to bash them. Um, hey, dude, you got the thousand bucks? It does not matter how you got there, but you got there. <laughs> so you're coming, you know? And two days before we were supposed to leave, he, goes, he calls me up, he goes, hey, you know, no can go, bro, no can go to camp no more. And I was like, oh, how come? He goes, I wouldn't get ex- expelled from my, my school. And I was like, this is Castle High School in Kaneohe. Like, you have to do something pretty gnarly to get expelled from Castle. He goes, bro, I, I wouldn't bash this guy. He was blocking me, bro. And I, I was like, you bash some guy? Okay, well, I, there's a fight every day at Castle High School. Like, every, like literally every day. And I'm going, what? How'd you get expelled for that? He goes, bye, he's my teacher. <laughs> well, he was, I, I kid you not, right? So, was, And I said, no, 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 no. You are coming specifically for that reason because you need to hear the good news of Christ and your whole life, Ikaika, obviously, is a mess. And you, you need to hear the good news of the gospel, my friend. So he comes, he hears the message of Jesus, understands that he is broken, that this whole life is, is just, he's, it's been a stitch up. And that he is, there's nothing good in him, and he just cries out for God's mercy. And, and what was really neat in this camp is not only were there clear gospel presentations, but they really pound into the, all the students, the leaders in, as well, look, we need to be memorizing the Bible. We, we need to be memorizing Scripture. Uh, kind of like I'm going to be pushing into all you guys, let's try to memorize the book of Titus, right? It's Because I'm going to be preaching that in a couple of weeks. Like the whole book of Titus. And, and I'll never forget Ikaika. He was so keen. He, he, he was like staying up late till the night memorizing, memorizing scripture. And, and I can still hear him quoting one passage in particular from Jeremiah 9. And he'd come up to me, and goes, oh, test me out, bro, test tra- me out. This is what the Lord says. Let not the, I, I won't do it in his, his I won't him, but he said, listen to this passage. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom I, I can still hear him rattling off that verse to me every single day. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. And you know, as I've come back to that passage, it's a significant passage that Jeremiah says there, what, what, what's he saying? Well, he's saying that, well, God is actually talking, right? He's saying, let him who boasts, that, boast in what? That he understands and knows me. That's really the heart, friend, of this sermon series, that we would know God, that we would know and understand the character of God. I'd argue there's no higher calling, nothing more urgent for us than to know our triune God in all His majesty, beauty, and holiness. I'd even go so far to say this. For this church, the life and health of this church is directly dependent upon our knowledge of God. The life and health of, I will say this as one of the pastors here, the life and health of Wyoming Church of Christ literally depends, is dependent upon our knowledge of God. Why? Why? Well, because if we have anything to say that's significant or true or meaningful, not just cheap little throwaway, you know, verses that we memorized out of context, but if this church has anything true or life-impacting or transformational or true or meaningful to say, it stems from our knowledge of God and our knowledge of ourselves. But hold on. Hold on a tick. How can we know? How can we if that's true, if you, if you're like, okay, well that makes sense. I saw some of you kind of nodding your heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then how can we know a God who is infinite? Think about that. We are finite, he is infinite, right? So given our natural limitations, how can we ever get a complete understanding of the limitless one? How can we understand God fully or comprehend His whole being? How is that possible? Guess what? It's not. As finite and fallen creatures, we can never fully understand God. He is beyond our full comprehension. Listen to what Paul the Apostle says. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has given, been his counselor or who has given a gift to him? Well, the answer is quite obvious, isn't it? No one. Or check out what the Lord says to the prophet Isaiah. For my thoughts, listen to this spatial dif- distance here. Listen to this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as heaven, so as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Do You understand the distance between God and us is the difference between the creator and the creature. The distance between eternity and time itself. Meaning at the end of the day, God is incomprehensible. God is incomprehensible. Now I realize that term's a mouthful, you don't use that term, normal day jargon. I get that. But beyond being a mouthful, it, it also seems a bit discouraging or a bit confusing. Like what I'm saying is we are unable to know anything about God. That makes sense? Like it almost sounds, when I say God is incomprehensible, it almost sounds like, well, how can I know anything then? Might as well just leave. Shouldn't hear you rattle on about something that you can't even know. Well, that, that if that's an incorrect conclusion, right? We actually we actually can have a true and personal knowledge of God, but that doesn't imply we'll understand Him totally or exhaustively. You with me? In other words, we can never know everything there is to know about Him. Essentially, when it comes to God's divine nature, His essence, He is incomprehensible. He's unfathomable. So here's our big point for today. And we're going to break this into two bits here. Here's the sentence, ready? We cannot understand God fully, but we can know Him truly. So we cannot understand God fully, but we can know Him truly. That's how this sermon is going to divide out. Because the Bible teaches both, that God is incomprehensible and knowable. We cannot understand God fully, but we can know Him truly. Or you can say it the other way around, we can know God truly, we will never know God's essence fully. All right? So that's where we're headed. We're going to look at a, a text from the book of Exodus, and then as these are topical sermons, we'll sort of be here, there, and everywhere. Um, but why don't we, as we go to the Lord now, let's let's ask Him to bless our time, Okay? Heavenly Father, we praise you that in Christ, your mercy is more. Lord, we pray that those truths would be woven throughout today's sermon. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. In Christ's name, amen. So have you ever um, ever seen a movie where right when the movie begins... You're trying to, trying to figure out what, what on earth's happening. Maybe the main character is a guy and he's, he's running, he's out of breath, maybe he's bleeding. And, <gasps> and you're like, wait, what's going on? What's going on? Or perhaps in another movie, it starts in an airport and there's this couple and they're crying and they're embracing. And the woman turns to him before she gets in, on the airplane. She goes, you know, I don't have to leave. And then you're kind of going, whoa, what's going on? And then it, this little thing comes up 48 hours earlier, <laughs> right? And, and you know now they're going to explain how'd the dude end up out of breath and, you know, bleeding and why did the couple, what's going on there, right? They're going to fill in those, those details. Well, let me do that with a biblical account for you. I want you to picture for a moment, try to envision an older man trembling with fear. There's this old man. He's he's curled up in a fetal position. He's actually hiding behind a rock. His knees are shaking. His palms are sweaty. His throat is dry. Hey, he's wondering if he will live another day because of what what he's about to see. Just then, the ground begins to shake. And as the ground shakes, you can see in the corner of the screen this piercing light. And this old man is just thinking, this is it. He doesn't know if, if the ground is shaking or as heart is pounding harder. Who is this man? It's Moses, actually. might surprise you when I say it's Moses because, well, I mean, if anyone had God's ear, it was this bloke, if you know who that is. If there was anyone who could sit within God's inner council and petition the Lord on behalf of his people, it was this guy. I mean, Moses was God's chosen leader and mediator. If anyone knows the Lord, it was him. So how come this guy is shaking with fear? Like, what's going on there in that story I just talked about? Well, come to the book of Exodus. It's actually just the second book in the Old Testament. So you have Genesis and then Exodus, and Leviticus and Numbers. If you get to those books called Leviticus and Numbers, you've gone too far. Go back to the left. So come to Exodus. That's the second book in the Bible, actually. And we're going to look at the 33rd chapter. So Exodus 33. Let me give you a little context here. So after liberating... Israel from Egypt, Moses leads the people to Mount Sinai, and it's here that the Lord will meet with Moses and give him the law on how these people, these, these new liberated people, are to live. Now, tragically, as this is going down, uh, as Moses is communing with God up on Mount Sinai, uh, the nation of Israel commit this horrific crime, this terrible sin, they they don't. They're not content with even though God just rescued them and parted the Red Sea. They actually want gods they can, well, here's the deal. They want gods that are domesticated that they can that they can grab and and look at and and why not a golden calf? And familiar with this? And and so there's this tragedy that happens. And so Moses actually needs to intercede on behalf of these people, and and then God tells him this. God's pretty cross about the whole thing. And he says, look, I'll I'll still send you into the promised land. You can still go. But here's the catch. Exodus 33, verse 3. Go up to the land flowing, there it is, with milk and honey. That's the promised land. But here's the catch. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Wow. So as soon as the people hear this, rightly so, they, they mourn. They they actually Moses needs to intercede for them yet again, and then in verse eleven, if you drop down there, it says that as Moses was alone with the Lord, speaking face to face as one speaks with a friend. That's what's happening there. These these conversations took place in the tent of meeting. So what would happen is if you picture this big tent out in the bush, out in the desert, and that cloud would come on top of it, the glory cloud, and the pre- that represented God's presence. And it says that and in these meetings God and and Moses would, would speak face to face. And during one of these meetings, during one of these encounters, Moses expressed his concern about the Lord not going with them into the land of Israel. Look at verse 15. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? I mean, Moses is like, uh, look, if if you're not going to go with us, we're not going, right? And so after listening to Moses, God says, okay, all right, I'll go. But it's only because you, Moses, have found favor in my eyes. That's it. That's the only reason I'm going. What a relationship. Do you see that? I mean, he says, you're stiff-necked people. If I go with you, I'm going to wipe you out. But then he goes, all right, fine, I'll go. But Moses, it's only because we have this intimate, personal relationship together. So Moses has, I mean, he knows, to use a a common phrase, the, the man upstairs, right? He knows the man upstairs better than anybody at this time, hands down. Do you agree? Yeah. And yet Moses cannot experience the very essence of God. Yeah, he, it says that he speaks face to face, but why? He this is why he 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 even pushes it a little bit further, and he he, he gives he actually asks the most audacious and bold claim ever. So he ha, he has these meetings. Remember verse eleven. If you, if you looked at it there in your Bible, face to face. But then then he asks the Lord this in verse eighteen. Look what he says. Moses said, speaking to God, please. Show me your glory. Whoa. I I was explaining it to one of my kids this morning. They love talking on walkie-talkies around the house, right? And technically they're, and it's like, you know, hey, are you in, are you in? And their presence is there through a mediated machine called a walkie-talkie, and their voice is there. That's kind of, but they're not in the room, you with me they're outside or running around on the driveway or whatever but what moses is saying is we've had this walkie-talkie thing going on which i'm grateful for and even that's been pretty shocking i want you in the room i want you here moses are you bro are you kidding me don't you know who you're talking to this isn't this isn't aaron this isn't this isn't your sister miriam this is god how could you be so audacious Well, the response Moses gets is probably what you'd expect. It's quite remarkable. It's in verse 20. Because on the one hand, it's impossible to see God and live. Okay, so look, look what he says: You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. No one can see the very essence of God. If I enter the room, Moses. Dead men tell no tales, right? Claudine, you you appreciated that. Dead men, yeah, that's right, that's right, those cheesy movies. Dead men tell no tales, especially those who've, well, gazed upon God's essence. He is so glorious, so infinite, that if Moses or you or I were to gaze upon him, we would be consumed, it's like the sun in our solar system. If you look at the sun straight on, I don't recommend this, but your eyes can water, if you looked at it long enough, you'd go blind, right? Or if you're foolish enough to get in a rocket ship, right, you ring up Elon Musk and you say, bro, I want to go, I know you're getting into space, but I want to be the first guy to go, I know they've landed on the moon, I want to land on the sun, right? And he says, yeah, right, okay. And you're crazy enough, and you get—let's just say you pretend you get in a rocket ship. Well, you'd be, dis, you'd be disintegrated before you ever even got close. In a similar way, no one can see the very essence of God and live. So on the one hand, it's impossible; Moses cannot do this. But on the other hand, on the other hand, God makes an exception. You see that? Look at verse 21. He will allow Moses just a sneak peek of his backside, as it were. He'll tuck Moses into the cleft of a rock and pass by him. That's where we began the movie of the old man shaking. Does that make more sense now? Now look at verse 21. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So, so Moses, you see what's going on there? He's permitted to be hidden in a rock, but really, it is God who is hidden for Moses. Not even Moses could see the divine essence and live. You know, friends, if this event teaches us anything... It's that God's essence in all its glory, perfection, and brilliance is incomprehensible. It's too much to bear. It's beyond the reach of mere mortals like you, like Moses, like me. Here's the deal. We are finite. God is infinite. God is infinite in His power and perfection. They know no limit. Think about it this way. How you can, uh, I guess conceptualize of God. Usually people say God is love, and that's true. But God is not love in the same way that you and I love. God's love is infinite. I remember when some of my kids began counting, they said, Dad, you could count forever if you think about it. One, two, three. I said, yep, stop there. But you know, um, one, two, three, four, five. You could just keep counting. And I said, yeah, now imagine this. You picture like, here's a line of 100, and then 200, and 400. Infinity. There is no space, no end to infinity. God God is love infinitely. God is holy infinitely. God is wrath infinitely. God is, you get it? Infinitely. God is infinite in His power and in His perfections. They know no limit. He is the creator. Now think of yourself. You are the creature. We can never plumb the depths of who God is. As Thomas Aquinas famously said, the finite cannot comprehend the infinite. The finite cannot comprehend the infinite. God is incomprehensible. We cannot understand God fully, but we can know Him truly. Now, let's look at some passages that teach this truth. Psalm 145 says this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. You see that word? Unsearchable. It means you can't fully examine it. It's like, you know, if you see something under a microscope, right? And you're looking at all the details, and then you go, wow, and you sort of pull back, it's like you're trying to do that and then you pull back and you realize you've only been looking at a bit of an elephant or, or you know, an elephant, event, eventually you could do it. But you get what I'm saying? It's unsearchable. You can't fully examine it. Basically, God, be, His being or magnitude is beyond our capability to search out and discover. It's too great to be fully known. It might surprise you that the book of Job actually teaches this quite a bit. We know Job Most of us know Job from, he coughs it on the chin at the beginning, right? And then there's all the stuff that no one reads in the middle. And in the end, he gets it back double and yay, that's the end. But Job's a massive book. And in the middle, though his friends give him, albeit bad advice, it's not untrue about who God is. You with me? Though his friends are giving him bad advice to assess his situation... What they say about God is in fact true. Uh, For instance, uh, one of Job's mates uses this spatial or dimensional language to say God is incomprehensible. Uh, Look what one of his friends, Zophar, says. He says this in Job 11, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. You see, he admits here that nobody has ever known or will come to know the depths of God's essence, the scope of His might and the height of His glory. God is so limitless, so supreme, so glorious that He is simply beyond our human comprehension. Listen to what Job actually says himself. Job says this in chapter 26, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. He's talking about God. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his power? Who can understand? Later in the book, another one of Job's friends asks, who could even begin to grasp the thunder of God's voice? God thunders, Job 37. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things we cannot comprehend. You know, legend has it uh, that the famous Augustine, or Augustine, was walking down the beach one day. And as he strolled down the coast with the sand beneath his feet, as you do if you're Augustine, you're thinking about the Trinity. So as there, he's walking along, he's pondering the Trinity. And as he's doing this, he, he rocks up to a little boy. And he notices that the boy is scooping water out of the ocean with a little shell in his hand, running to the sand, dumping it out. Running back to the ocean, scooping up water in his little shell, dumping it out. And he asked the kid, hey, uh, what, are, what are you up to, man? And the little boy responded that he was emptying out the sea. <laughs> and obviously this made Augustine smile as some of you just laughed. But, well, you know, sort to of break it to your kid, but you can't can't do that, that's impossible. You've got this tiny little shell, and you can't empty out the ocean. But as he kept walking along after that exchange was done, it suddenly the penny dropped for Augustine. If that boy was trying to do the impossible, how much less could he fit God's, fit God's infinity into his own finite little shell brain? Remember, we're finite or limited, but God is infinite. And because of that, we cannot understand him to the ninth degree. We can certainly know true stuff about God, his wisdom, his power, but we'll never grasp it completely. If we could, if we could know it at the level that God does, remember I said that his power, his wisdom is infinity? I know you think you're pretty awesome and I know your mom's told you that growing up. But if you could actually, (laughs) do you really think you're that awesome? Like if you could actually know it to infinity, if you could then, well, God would no longer really be as divine as he is because you'd be on the same level as him. Does that make sense? That's why Augustine penned these helpful words. He said this, we are speaking of God. Is it any wonder if you do not comprehend For if you comprehend, it is not God you comprehend. Let it be a pious confession of ignorance rather than a rash profession of knowledge. To attain some slight knowledge of God is a great blessing. To comprehend comprehend Him, however, is totally impossible. As Western Aussies, I wonder how you think about that. I wonder if that offends you a little bit. I wonder if you find yourself sitting in a chair disagreeing How dare you say that? Mate, what do you know? I wonder, do you you agree with that? Does does that offend you a bit? Does that, uh, does the idea of God being incomprehensible make you feel, maybe if you're not offended, maybe you're a bit discouraged? Basically, God is like a subject you'll never master? Well, if that's you, friend, and this is sort of a struggle, perhaps a better approach is to acknowledge the fact that God is in a category of his own makes sense he alone is infinite and supreme so much so that we cannot wrap our minds around him fully think about it this way we will never be able to know too much about god we will never run out of things to learn about him and never tire in delighting in the discovery of more and more of his excellence and of the greatness of his works, even in heaven. Yes, think about this, okay. Besides Marge Ferge, love you Marge, and I respect this, most of you have not lived 100 years on this earth. Marge, we're hoping you're going to get there. Most of us, you know, in this room, as I look around, I don't know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and you know, so on. But imagine... Uh, We can only think of our lifetime like, oh wow, back when I was in my 20s, or oh I remember that, I can't remember those days, or back when I was in my teens, or whatever it might be. It's not that long if you think about it. It's it's really not that long. Let's let's just go back. Let's take Marge, Verge. Let's times her life by two. So just short of 200 years. That's a long time. Think back 200 years ago, what was happening in the world. I mean, we'll never meet those people physically on this earth 200 years ago. You know, like, they're, they're gone. Yes, yes, we might, if those are in Christ, we'll meet them in heaven, but that's not what I'm talking about. On this earth, actually, you'll, ne- you'll never meet them. They're gone. So, imagine in heaven, think about in your glorified state. If you're, if you're a Christian, you go to heaven, you won't have to eat. You won't have to sleep. You won't be distracted. You can gaze upon God as it were. For 200 years. I think I remember how long 200 years is. Now, now double that. 400 years. 800 years. Like, can can you even like wrap your like mind around 800 years? All you know like is even like that makes 80 years a blip, nothing, right? 800 years. Okay, let's, let's expand that even further. 8,000 years. Can, I mean, <laughs> can you even think about this? 8,000 years where you're not distracted. Have like, you ever studied a subject in uni or maybe back in high school days? And if you had to cram for a test, you wanted to try to do your best to put all distractions aside. right? But you still had to sleep and eat and you got distracted. Especially nowadays, I can only imagine getting distracted with social media and all that stuff. But all that's gone. You just eight thousand years. You're just studying the character of God, and you wake up eight thousand years later, as it were, and you say, "Just learn something about God today." That's amazing. That's how infinite God is. Listen, to what David says: "How precious to me are your thoughts, O God? How vast is the sum of them? If I were to count them." They are more than the sand. We cannot understand God fully, but we can know Him truly. He is incomprehensible, but not unknowable. We can know Him truly. How? Well, as we move through the pages of Scripture and move through redemptive history, God makes himself known uniquely in the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus. Look what Jesus prays about the night before he's killed and crucified. He says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. Listen to this language that Jesus prays here. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Having accomplished the work that I was sent here for. There was never any stage where Jesus sinfully blew up on his friends or lied or was fake so he could be accepted by people. Jesus lived perfect, perfectly. Like there's a standard. There's a measure that God has. If God is perfect and holy and we'd be consumed by him, oh dear friend, How are you going to come near that God? Your sins are stacked up. What are you going to do? Jesus Christ lived and accomplished perfect obedience to those who believe and trust in Him so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We can know God truly through Jesus. Because He is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through Him. What news that is. We can know God truly. Now for those of you that are born again, that you have come to the place where you've acknowledged your sin, you're trusting in Christ, even now. How do we go about knowing this infinitely wise, infinitely holy, perfect God. What, what method should we do? Because certainly we want to, sure, we can't know God exhaustively, right? But we want to know Him truly, so then how do we get stuck into that? Like this week, what, what, what should we do? Well, is it just up to you, the individual? Right? Whatever method you decide to do this week, you know, maybe God can you, can, you can know Him truly through meditation. Or perhaps we come to know Him through some unusual experience or a dream, or we get whooped up at like kind of a Christian worship conference, albeit column churches or whatever, and we feel this experience. Maybe we know God that way. What it, or, or, or is this just kind of brass tacks, right? Obviously, you don't think those examples I've said are probably legitimate. So then maybe it's just brass tacks. Maybe we just have a good go at it and think about God. How do we know Him truly? What method should we use? Well, I want to suggest one, but before I do, let me give you two pitfalls. Two bad approaches when it comes to knowing God. Two isms, if you like. You know it's bad when there's isms. First, ism is spiritual mysticism. That's a bad approach. Second, Is human rationalism. First bad approach, spiritual mysticism. Second bad, human rationalism. What I'm trying to communicate here is that you can fall off the horse on spiritual mysticism, depending on if you're more reflective, and you can fall off the horse if you're not, the other way towards being rationalist. You with me? So, how do we Stay on the horse, so to speak, and not fall off one side or the other. Well, let's talk about falling off the horse into spiritual mysticism. Spiritual mysticism says that the reality of God is unknown or beyond imagining. We are always grasping, but never arriving. So God is robbed of any definition and clarity whatsoever. And so you're left to have a journey, as it were. A life filled with different spiritual, subjective experiences. This is so prevalent on the, on the Central Coast, by the way. Uh, this might include encountering God through a bushwalk. Nothing wrong with bushwalks, by the way. Or attending a, a, a church service where you feel a certain way and someone speaks a certain thing to you. Or it might even be walking a, a labyrinth and you feel... That's the way to connect to God, because the reality is God is hidden in secrecy and ambiguity, and and you can only experience bits and pieces. Mysticism is is one pitfall to avoid. It it really is just, it's just new age junk. It, It really is. But on the other extreme, you can be a rationalist, a human rationalist. That means that you can figure God out on your own tuition. Makes sense to me. I think this also is very prevalent, particularly in this culture that is very uh, do-it-yourself. I go to Bunnings and it's DIY. I can't do anything myself, so I just go, you know, call a friend. That's that's what I do. But uh, yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll have a go. I'll just. You with me? It's just kind of like, oh, I can. I can. I can, Dan helped me with this this week, sauce it out? Sauce. sauce. sauce whatever. Like, one day if I'm back in the States, I'll try to impersonate you guys or something, and then they'll say, that sounds so legit, and I'll be like, yeah, you know. I'm Aussie ass, you know, or whatever. And they'll say, that sounds so legit. Uh, and you guys will shake your heads. So, yeah. But, but in other words, you can just sort of kind of say, yeah, yeah, look, look, I, I can do this. That's very much the sort of utilitarian culture, I'd say, meaning it's just like, oh, yeah, I'll I'll have a go. I'll I'll make sense. But see, the problem with that, though, like mysticism, is what are you banking on? You're you're, you're assessing things by your own tuition, right? You're you're trying to... I'm not going to say sauce it out. You're trying to figure it out by yourself. Uh, This week, uh, I read an insightful chapter in a book called None Greater, and last week I dropped a bomb of a quotation on you guys, and you guys, you guys hung. You guys hung the whole way, so it's not it's not going to be it's only going to be half as long as last week. But I have another quote because what he does is critiques this idea of rationalism. You with me? This idea of just DIY religion. How about that? This is what he says. This is a guy named Matthew Barrett. And this dude, by the way, I know him personally. We used to go to church together. Very normal guy. He's a weird Californian like me. Not that that helps listen to this quote, but, but there you go. So, but he's a very brilliant guy. And he says this, Living two decades into the 21st century has its advantages. It gives us a bird's eye point of view, soaring over centuries past, using the eyes of an eagle to see missteps of past generations. You with him so far? He's saying we can look back That's what a lot of the radical left does. They say, we can look back on all the horrible things and therefore know that we're on a better trajectory. That's not what he's advocating for here, but he's saying, we can look back at history, we can say, well, we've seen missteps, okay? What he does particularly is the enlightenment. He says, "Um, during the enlightenment era, for example, many thinkers, Christians included, had an extremely optimistic view of humanity. By reason alone, humans could scale the greatest heights the arts and sciences had to offer. Religions was not exempt either. While different approaches were taken, some believed they could determine who God is simply by means of using their reasoning powers alone. The Bible could be set aside for good. Reason was enough. As time passed, it became evident that the Enlightenment experiment failed. War, for example, two of them, exposed the fact that humanity is not morally neutral but corrupt. The ill use of reason demonstrated that humanity was desperately in need of special revelation after all. Autonomous reason was not so autonomous as it turned out. In fact, it was idolatrous, attempting to remove God from His throne and replace the Creator's authority with the creature's intellect instead. The follies of the Enlightenment should forever remind us that attempting to scale the ladder of heaven to pull God down is the height of human hubris. It is the Tower of Babel all over again. What's he saying? Well, history has shown us that we cannot rely on wit and intuition to know God truly. We are too sinful. We're too sinful in our thinking to maybe, you know, sort of maybe uh, figure things out on our own experiences And we're too sinful to just have a go and put the Bible aside. What do we need? We need to submit to God's word. We can know God truly because He is not silent. God has spoken to us. The God who is there has disclosed who He is. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Look at this, book of Hebrews chapter 1. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 1, God is there, He has spoken. Notice, long ago, at long, Hebrews 1, verse 1, long ago at many times and in many places, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by who? His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance, the glory of God, and the exact imprint of His nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. Wow. And notice, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having as much superior to angels as the name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs. So we need to take a hard look at God's revelation of himself in order to understand who he is. If we are to describe God correctly, then we need to use the correct method, and that is the word of God. Here's the truth. Only the spirit of God can search the deep things of God. And God has revealed them to us in the words inspired by the Holy Spirit. So two fit, two pitfalls there, you could fall off the horse in spiritual mysticism, you could fall off the horse in rationalism, or you can stay balanced by the word of God itself. Here's a quote for you. This is a bit of a wordy quote, but it's helpful. Since then, we are to discourse of the things of God. Let us assume that God has full knowledge of himself and bow with humble reverence to his words. For he whom we can only know through his utterances is the fitting witness concerning himself. That's a helpful quote, I think. In other words, how do we want to know God if we can know him truly? It's through what he's uttered about himself and what he's given to us is his word. The will of God for the people of God has been revealed in the word of God. You don't need wonky, weird experiences. And you shouldn't just have a go and roll up your sleeves. You need to submit to what this book says, believe it, dear friend, and pray that God meets you in it. Our sins are many, his mercies are more. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you again for this opportunity to think, not little things, but pretty, for for us, Lord, pretty massive, massive truths. And we know that we've only just hit the tip of the iceberg, if that. Lord, may you rivet our hearts from the truth that we've learned, that we would share that in an exciting, enthusiastic way with our brothers and sisters here this morning. We would be able to praise you through song. Lord, we pray that this idea of you being incomprehensible would never bore us, but it would do the opposite. It would excite us to learn more and more of you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.